Hey, it's Rekha, the audience manager at Self Evident. One of the things that helps us decide what stories to tell on the show is hearing from all of you. Your feedback is so important to us. So please press pause and take our listener survey at selfevidentshow.com slash participate. It's anonymous and it only takes five minutes to help us understand more about you and how we can keep building the show with your needs in mind. So go to selfevidentshow.com slash participate or look for the link in our show notes. Thanks and talk soon. Let's think about the fingers, the fingers, right? Fingers, the fingers, the fingers, the fingers. Yeah, however you want to do do that and let the whole body follow. That's Kareem Muasher, who's a theater director. He's leading a warm-up exercise for a bunch of actors in the back of the Brick House, a nonprofit art space in downtown Brooklyn. Say a different line from the show every time or, an, or the same line. The group of actors, almost entirely Asian women, is rehearsing here for two weeks. Bombs fell. Spam products are magical. <laughs> and for this very physical warm-up, they're darting back and forth across a circle, tagging each other in and out, while each of them repeats one of their lines from the show over and over again. Spam is you, you are spam! Spam is you, you are spam. Bombs, lullabies, magical spam products. They're all lines from a new play by Jamie Sunwoo called Specially Processed American Me. It's a surreal autobiographical play about spam the canned meat and how I personally relate to it. I called it Specially Processed American Me because, like, spam doesn't actually stand for anything official, but one of, like, the common backronyms is Specially Processed American Meat. Ah. You know what? <laughs> I always thought it was, like, spiced ham or something. like a, Yeah, that's like one of them as well. Portmanteau, like, yeah. Yeah, they don't have an official reason, but spiced ham is one. Special army meat is another. Mm. Uh, specially Processed American Meat. So there's a lot of guesses, but I wanted to use spam as a way to talk about my life and how I process my identity. (laughs) How you specially process it. How I specially (laughs) process it. (laughs) This is Self-Evident, where we tell Asian America stories to go beyond being seen. And today, I'm talking to Jamie about the making of Specially Processed, which is about to have its first run at Dixon Place, an experimental theater in New York City. The play is based on Jamie's real-life experience with digging up the past. It starts with a young, dramatized version of Jamie, struggling with the end of her parents' marriage, while eating spam, of course, and then follows her through a dreamlike journey as she begins to ask her family about their lives during the Korean War. Jamie realizes that spam, just a regular food from her childhood, contains a history as well. History intertwined with war, American troops, and the contradictions of poverty and abundance. It's beautiful and strange at the same time. There's a mix of Korean culture and surreal spam images. These big rolling carts that look like pojagi, this like Korean fabric quilt that is reminiscent of giant slices of spam. (laughs) Supernatural characters. Puppets that resemble pigs. A shaman, a Korean mudang shaman. (laughs) And a massive can of pink slime. 
In the fall of 2021, I tagged along with Jamie and her team in Brooklyn during a two-week residency where they put together sets and experimented with visuals. The crew put on two preview shows, just a few scenes from the play for friends and family. The audio you'll hear is from those previews. Then I caught up with Jamie as she was getting ready to launch the show. To find out what she's learned from spending the past four years putting together the play and what she's learned about spam. If you haven't thought about spam in a while, well, it's an American canned pork product similar to ham. In the States, spam's gone through a lot of ups and downs over the years. It still carries the stigma of being poor people's food or fake meat, even though the price tag for spam isn't exactly cheap. But like a lot of East Asian, Southeast Asian, and Pacific Islander folks, Jamie's always loved spam. It was really good. Most often, I'd probably eat it in spam fried rice. Mm -hmm. My mom would, like, top an egg on it and squirt some ketchup on it. And I also would see it in musubi. I have Mm -hmm. some cousins out in Hawaii, and I'd visit them during the summer. And I also had a lot when my mom would go on business trips, and my dad would like make dinner and ah. <laughs> if he felt like he just wanted a dad quick dinner. meal yeah. yeah dad dinner he would like fry up some spam and we would just like eat it watching TV it. <laughs> with some rice and eggs and kimchi when it was first invented by the Hormel Corporation in 1937 spam was marketed as a modern miracle meat But it really became a big business when Hormel started supplying the U.S. military with millions of pounds of spam during World War II. That's also how spam became popular in Asia, Hawaii, and the Pacific Islands, as American soldiers who were there to wage war or occupy territories would give spam rations to locals or sell them to the local black market. And all that history went into how Jamie wrote Specially Processed. The show opens up And it's Jay Hormel, who was the head of Hormel Foods when Spam was on the market. Mm -hmm. And Jay Hormel is opening the show with his troupe of Hormel girls. In real life, the Hormel girls were this all-female World War II uh, veterans Mm -hmm. that had, like, an orchestra, a radio show. They had a competitive drum and bugle corps. So it was a big operation, and uh, it was a big uh, marketing push, basically, to encourage, like, post-war nostalgia. It's like post-war, like, influencers. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Just like, remember the time we were winning? (laughs) Eats fam. Uh, So they're playing this, like, reed organ, and they're just talking to the audience, like, hey, welcome to the spam show, pretty much. Like, to them, this is one giant advertisement for the product. Folks, how are we this evening? Thank you so much for coming to our traveling stage show. My name is Jay Hormel, president of I know that you've been working on this play for a few years now, and it, it sounds like it's evolved a lot over that time. How exactly did the whole idea get started, though? Was there like a specific moment where you would say this project was born or, you know, a light bulb or something like that? Yeah, well... I think I've just been intrigued by spam for a long time. And I think many Asian Americans have just because it's this like secret food you have at home and you don't share with (laughs) anyone else. But 
you love it and you love it because I, I don't know, I, people are just very passionate about it. And it, mm-hmm. it, so it was just super intriguing to me because I didn't start with a script. Like I started with a giant hand-painted spam can that I filled <laughs> with slime and a pig puppet. Okay, so you that know? was your that was your art project. Yeah, like okay. I started with those objects first. Nice. And I sort of built a story around those objects. Mm. And actually the full script didn't come into fruition until much later. What made you decide to weave in your own personal story into the story of spam? Well, I guess there's a couple of reasons. One is I think it's strange that spam was a product that's sort of born and bred in the U.S. and is still very marginalized by white America. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I feel like that's how Asian Americans feel. <laughs> Just like, we're oh. from here, though. <laughs> so you identified with spam. <laughs> yeah, I, I directly identified with spam. I was like, I am also born here. And I'm also marginalized. I got it. But <laughs> beyond that, like, I, I'm a treat. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I also just think it's this hilarious, kitschy food that has been in the butt of jokes uh, mm-hmm. for so long, and it's. I think it's uh, just fun to unpack that as well. On that note, you have this thing <laughs> that is a pig god that pops up. <laughs> yeah, like a pig spirit of sorts. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a giant pig head puppet that pokes out from behind the curtain and it's haunting young Jamie. Who are you? I am who I am. The real question is. Who am I? You are what you eat. <laughs> um, but I think it's also kind of like helping her go beyond just thinking of spam as a comfort food, right? And and like helping her start asking questions about the history uh, behind why she eats spam in the first place. It's playing that yeah. sort of integral role. Torch has a block. Get to the beach. Oh my God. <laughs> spam? Yeah. Where did the, where did this idea come from? <laughs> so the mudang is the Korean shaman who mm-hmm. appears playing the kitchen percussion before okay. this pig spirit appears. is summoned. Okay. And I just thought having a pig that's summoned by this mudang would be a perfect sort of like fairy godmother in (laughs) this Korean-American tale, especially because, of course, like, spam is made out of pork. (laughs) So, yeah, Yeah. it just just fit nicely in there. And, you know, the pig head, before it becomes animated in other parts of the show, it is purely, like, a pig head on a platter, Mm -hmm. part of, like, spam's advertising. So if this, you know, Jamie character is getting haunted by the spirits of Spam's past, and that includes people like Jay Hormel and the Hormel girls, then it should also include the mudang and this pig. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. The Korean ghosts. Where are the Korean ghosts? 
So after your character, uh, the young Jamie, is visited by this pig god, she goes and calls up her grandmother and asks her how she started cooking with Spam. And then, instead of learning about the history of the meat right away, she gets into this story about living through the Korean War, watching her house burn down. So we see this story on stage playing out through shadow puppets. And we also hear the story through your grandmother's real voice. Bombs fell and my house burned to the ground. That's why I was scared. That's why I remember. Of course I remember. And your grandfather, soldiers were grabbing men and taking them away. So he hid beneath the floorboard. Because he couldn't get a haircut, his hair grew this big. Long ago, I went through all that turmoil. Even now, I think about it. Oh, a long time ago, I thought Spam was so delicious. But when I eat it now, it doesn't taste good. <laughs> There's plenty to eat. That's why it doesn't taste good. Because there's plenty to eat. I think we hear from our listeners a lot that, you know, they wish they could learn more about their family's history like you've done, but they can't because people just don't want to talk about it. So I'm curious, how did you interview your grandmother, your your maternal grandmother, for this scene? Yeah. I mean, every family's different. I would say in my personal experience, it's that, you know, you don't want to just go up to someone and be like, so share your trauma. (laughs) (laughs) That's one thing. My parents and my grandparents are trying to shelter the younger generations from hardship and kind of like focus on the bright side. And when they've come to this country to, in essence, for all sorts of reasons, like move forward. And this is why I am thankful for spam and that like, (laughs) you know, it's just a food. Right. Spam for me was an easy way in. I see. Because I can just say like, what was it like to eat spam for the first time? And being able to ask something like, okay, okay, like you got it from a soldier. Like, what was that like? Was an easier way to start than, Mm. I don't know, what was it like to get ripped away from your siblings? And like, they're like, go straight to that. Mm. (laughs) So it, it was a direct transition into uncovering more about their experience at that time, you know, and the questions kind of flowed from there. When I was asking my grandma about her experiences during the war, so much of what I learned was brand new to my mom. Oh, wow. My mom, my two uncles, Mm -hmm. you know, and my uh, aunt in the room, like there were so many voices in that room. And They were all learning at the same time as I was. Hmm. For instance, this is not about the Korean War, but it is about my grandma's time during Japanese occupation. You know, when I was growing up, 
I I never met my grandpa. Like my my grandpa died when my mom was pretty young, and like mm-hmm. m- when I would ask my mom, like, what do you remember about grandpa? My mom would say, oh, like grandma met him because uh, he was looking for a wife, and he went to Kezong, which is in North Korea. Because he knew that like women in Kezong are pretty and can cook well. So when he went there, like he saw my grandma and wanted to marry her and she thought he was handsome. So <laughs> they got married and he 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 moved her to Seoul and and that's how she came south. Like it was such a nice little story. <laughs> <laughs> and then so when I asked my grandma, like, oh, how'd you meet grandpa? You know? Uh-huh. And she was like, oh, well, at the time, like the Japanese were taking away unmarried women. Mm. And forcing them into sex slavery. So they weren't taking married women. And then so my grandmother's father, my great-grandfather, told her she had to get married and like emergency set her up with this person. <laughs> wow. And, and when I asked yeah. her, well, like, did you think he was handsome? Or And her response was like, he was okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And my mom had no idea oh, that was the real my reason. Gosh. The romantic version and the gritty and real version. If you've ever had a job, here's a show you need to listen to. Battle Tactics for your sexist workplace. Each episode takes a close look at how sexism and racism show up in the American workplace. And co-host Jeannie Yandel and Eula Scott Bino give you real strategies for how to change things. A new season is out now. And it dives into how COVID has affected servers in the restaurant industry, why we have to get better at seeing and supporting grief in the workplace, and the sexist workplace of one Britney Spears. Listen to Battle Tactics for Your Sexist Workplace, wherever you get your podcasts. This is Self-Evident. I'm Kathy Irway. When I went to the preview show of Specially Processed American Meat back in October, Jamie's team performed just a few scenes, about 15 minutes, from the whole play. The story of how Jamie's grandmother first tasted Spam during the Korean War is one of those scenes. Another scene shows young Jamie dealing with the separation of her parents, a conflict that echoes the divisions of the war itself. The character of young Jamie played by actor Sarah Shin, just told the audience about a huge fight between her mom and dad. She's lying on the floor with her eyes shut, and her mom's helping her fall asleep by singing a song written in the 1930s during the Japanese occupation of Korea. It's called Tears of Mokbo. Tears of Mokpo by Inan Young is, at least for my grandmother's generation, a song that resembles Korean national pride, pretty much. And the subliminal messaging behind it is very much mourning the separation and loss of occupation. And it is a soft song that 
could work for something like a lullaby. And my mom actually did sing for me to fall asleep when I was little. And just the themes of like separation and loss resonate to what was happening in like the microcosm of my own home, but also like, you know, the Korean War and, and the family that's left behind. The voice of Jamie's mother fades away. Then the Hormel girls, four women dressed in military outfits and wearing these terrifying pig masks that cover every part of their face except for their mouths, sing Jamie a different kind of lullaby. My span's protection, assimilation, molds someone's pure American mind. So From Jamie, I learned that these Hormel girls are based on a group of real-life performers who worked for Jay Hormel to promote spam and other products. And Jay Hormel, the character, is kind of a competing narrator. While the Korean shaman and the pig god and even the Hormel girls are pushing Jamie to dig deeper into the true history of spam, Jay Hormel shows up with a different message. Yes, this patriotic pork is the epitome of the United States tastes. More scrumptious than apple pie, heartier than a burger, and certainly more American than French fries. You are what you eat. Spam is you. And you are Spam. And you are Spam. Yes, sir, you, sir, you're Spam. You miss your Spam, too. Spam, Spam. Why am I eating this? You bring in Jay Hormel. Tell me more about that. How did you do research into this? What did you find out? Why did you decide to include this? I was first actually intrigued by the Hormel girls. And I didn't know they existed. <laughs> I mean, I highly recommend anyone go check them out. You can even find some YouTube videos of them singing in the orchestra. Oh, and, cool. Yeah. And when I was reading more about them, I had learned that Jay Hormel actually was an aspiring musician. And oh. George Hormel, his father, who founded Hormel Foods, actually was totally against his music career. And, oh. and like the Hormel Girls was his passion project, you know? But right. then he was like, but I'm still working for the family company. Uh-huh. He was this marketing genius who married his passions with this yeah. family business that he had a duty, a responsibility to. Mm-hmm. And I was just so intrigued by that, that George Hormel passed a torch to Jay Hormel. And it's very much about like passing down this family legacy. And I was thinking like, as I'm thinking about spam for myself, 
and how these spam recipes has been passed down from my grandma to my mom to me. I was like, oh, there's this parallel there, hmm. you know, of, of spam being this like intergenerational right. food. <laughs> so <laughs> like all, that's also oh. wrapped up in war. And, yeah. you know, in, in many ways, like I think about my ancestors and think like, they survived off of food like spam. And so so I already saw that immediate parallel and was just really intrigued and in seeing like the similarities and very stark differences between mm-hmm. that relationship. I feel like your play really opened my eyes to another whole side of spam that I wasn't really aware of before because I feel like we're probably used to hearing references to spam as this like fun shared thing that a lot of us like to eat. But With your play, it seems like you're also pointing out that it's not just the food that connects us. It's war. It's colonization. And it's all the history that gets passed down from early generations whose lives were totally changed by America. Yeah. I think when you're growing up Asian American and you're a child of immigrants in general, I would say, you come to America and at least when I was growing up, there's this idea of like, America is, you know, a place where everyone may look different, but at the end of the day, you're American and being American means you have X, Y, Z values and you eat this way and you talk this way and you go to school this way. And then all those like weird differences in your family, well, that's just what they brought to this country. But Once you come to our schools and speak our language and then you're just like going to be absorbed into the American fabric until we live in this like post-racial America. I don't know. That's how (laughs) I felt growing up. Like that was what it meant to be American. Just like you happen to look different, but we're all the same. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, we're not the same. So then it's like, oh, well, we see similarities with other Asian American people and we're all made fun of the same way. The concept of just like what it meant to be Asian American, whether that is the fact that <laughs> you go to Taekwondo after school, is that <laughs> is that what it means? Like <laughs> that we eat similar yeah, things or yeah. like, you know, do we all drink boba tea? Like, I don't know. But having that specificity, being able to track why your parents came here, why your grandparents had your parents and then how, how like all of that happened and how mm-hmm. you ended up in this country, like that specificity and that specificity, mm. it's different for everyone. But it is, yeah. me personally, knowing that helped me understand that is the Asian American experience. Mm-hmm. When I'm talking to my fa- fellow Asian American friends and they're like, I don't know why my parents are this way. Like, I don't understand why they like, you know, cope with things this way or that way. For me, I, I recognize like, oh, wait, it's because there is this war trauma that we're all facing. And even if it's not war, just this craving to preserve Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. culture and identity in the past, but also like reinvent and discover and forge forward. I think like there's so many contradictions that immigrants in general and specifically Asian Americans deal with that are are so, honestly, it's just really painful. And I I just want to acknowledge that, you know, like in the show, my cast, it's a seven person cast and uh, six of the cast members are Asian American women. 
There's our lovely <laughs> Nathaniel, who's playing our white male characters, okay. Jay <laughs> like Hormel. Jay Hormel and <laughs> the soldiers. But yeah, um, my cast members, Sarah, Joella, Monica, Vanessa, Adriana, Unji, you know, Grace, they're all playing Asian American or Asian characters who grew up eating spam throughout what I call like the spam diaspora. So that's mm. like Okinawa. Guam, Hawaii, Korea, the Philippines. And these are all places where spam is super duper popular because they have strong American military bases. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a super strong U.S. military presence there. It's all tied. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's also interesting because like spam is a comfort food for Asian Americans. Right. So while like it originates from this war trauma, it also is an incredibly comforting food for mm-hmm. when we're feeling isolated here. Because it's like, I only eat Spam when my mom cooks it for me. You know, you don't have it at a restaurant or your friend's house. So it's like, when you're alone and there's that craving, it's, um, yeah, I just find it's, it so interesting that it's, 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 it's comforting here. <laughs> On the last two nights of Jamie's residency in Brooklyn, she invited her parents to come watch the work in progress. And... Since the scenes that were being performed focused on young Jamie and her maternal grandmother, none of the history that Jamie had gathered from her dad's side of the family was on stage that night. So her dad, Sonny, had a strong reaction when he realized the preview was over and Jamie's co-director came out to ask for feedback about these scenes. To him, it just wasn't enough. He missed something story here. I born in North Korea. I was two years old, right? I heard a lot of things. My father crossed over Hangang River. The American Army airplane, they sh- shoot that. Five people run away, three people died there because American Army people, they don't know which one is North Korean, which one is South Korean. But they move from train. A lot of people fall down, they die there. A lot of people together like uh, hell. They hit each other. They wanna. They don't care about the human life. They wanna go up first. They don't care the other people. That's war time anyway. You know. That's I think he are missing something. So. Uh, no, no. I have to say something. This is nice. I wanna make. No, I wanna help you because I wanna make fun like a real show. Yeah. What were you thinking when he was going on about, you know, wanting to share so much at that moment? My dad was honestly just responding to that feeling of like, you told me this was supposed to be the show where like you get to share my story. Like I I shared my story with you. Where's my story? And I understand that because, you know, my dad has felt so unseen in America. Mm. And so for him, like, he's really proud that I'm doing this and and sharing these stories that to him, like, wouldn't be told otherwise. Right. And and so for him, I think it was honestly, like, disappointing (laughs) where he saw this excerpt and and I hadn't, like, included all these things I was going to say just because of this, like, misunderstanding. Got it. I wanted to honor his part of the story 
it just wasn't what we covered during our residency. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Cuz yeah. our residency was only, you know, 15 minutes of the show. Right, right. And it happened smack dab in the middle <laughs> and we had focused on my grandmother's oral history. What Sonny hadn't seen yet was the ending of the play. When the character Jamie presents a trove of family photos that real-life Jamie got from her dad. Photos of her parents' clothing store, a photo of Sonny's parents, Jamie's grandparents, during their one visit to New York, and the only surviving family picture taken in Pyongyang before the war of Jamie's grandmother resting in a field. It's the emotional catharsis of the show, summing up Jamie's long journey to uncover her family history. But for Sonny, that history and wartime trauma is not so much a mystery as it is a painful truth. I sat down to talk with him after the preview show, with Alex Lee, the show's dramaturg and Korean language interpreter. How would you describe this show to somebody who's never heard of it before? What would you say? Simply put, this is the tragedy of Korea. Um, it's a very sad story. Yeah. We're telling it in a fun, silly way, but it's a story that you tell yeah. while you're crying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. What do you hope people take away from watching this play? Human. 어떤 사람이든 트럼프든 누구든 에? 그 바룸 라이프를 몰라 여기는 바룸 라이프를 아는 사람들은 이게 이게 해피 저 스팸이 행복해서 먹은 게 아니잖아요. 비, 이게 완전 비극이거든 옛날에는. Most humans don't know about what it's like to be at the bottom, like to live a bottom life, like whether you're Trump or whoever, people don't yeah. usually know that because the story of a spam is a very unhappy kind of tragedy. It's a tragedy of Korea. Yeah. And so everybody needs to know after watching this play what it is like to be poor, what it's like to be at the bottom. Yeah. My father, he crying so much at that time. He want to back to North Korea. He don't want to leave South Korea. Why leave South Korea? Like me. I don't like America either. Still, I want to go back to Korea. Jamie reminded me that sometimes the Korean War is called the Forgotten War. Maybe because it wasn't decisively won or lost, but it lingers on through American troops still in South Korea, the way news is written about North Korea, the family separated. Jamie's dad, Sonny, wants people to hear his story, to feel recognized and known. And through all the research, interviewing, and making pig head props, Jamie's been excavating family history to show how unforgettable the war and its effects were. But still, the process shows just how much history is lost to her family. The person I've been dating, for instance, he's a white American and his mother's side, like, they can trace their ancestry back to when they arrived to America, like, as colonists, mm -hmm. right? And and they have this huge family tree that they can trace. You can go to Ancestry.com and 
look at all these documents, <laughs> you know, he knows all about some, you know, random judge from a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Up the, you know, like he, he knows so much about his past. And I don't, you know, even for this project, I did try to go to all those databases. I, I tried going to the library and, you know, I'm sure this sounds silly to people who do this on the regular, but like, I honestly thought I would find more. <laughs> and then I thought I would maybe even find more in Korea. Like maybe mm-hmm. I just needed a higher translator and go to Korea. And, and then I just learned like, no, of course it wouldn't be there because so much was destroyed during the war. And not only that, like my grandmother, you know, was from North Korea. And then my, my father, his parents were both from North Korea. And he, my dad actually was born there and came down and now his birth certificate, even in Korea, says he was born in Seoul when he wasn't. So I'm not even talking about art right now. I'm talking mm-hmm. about just knowing who I am, knowing about my ancestry. It's just if I don't ask, I'm literally not going to know. Mm-hmm. The oral histories are all I have. So I, I just think like it goes beyond art. Mm-hmm. It is deeply personal. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think it's nice if my dad sees this and says, oh, I feel seen now. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, you shared my story when I couldn't have. But honestly, it's not even about that. It is about me. You know, it's about me living in this country, trying to figure out like when people are like, you know, what does it mean to be Asian American? I'm like, I don't know. You know, (laughs) this is me figuring it out. This whole show is just me like, yeah, processing, right? Right. So I honestly don't know exactly what their reaction is going to be. I mean, we all have our own ways of like memorializing things or like coping with things. I think my goal for this show is to just dive in and be honest as possible, even though it's very surreal. There's like a lot of magic and music and puppets and it's, you know, it is a carnival of sorts, but like the facts, the facts of the show are real. And honestly, like I am terrified about what they'll think <laughs> because I, I I don't sugarcoat things. It was truly a war at home when I was growing up. And I love both my parents. I, I have a good relationship with um, both of them now. But they'll have very different experiences of the show and they'll likely see it on separate nights, you know? Yeah. I love how you uh, summarized your show as being honest and, and processing. <laughs> And I can't wait to see the whole thing. I really can't. I'm so excited. So thank you so much for sharing. Yeah. This episode was produced by James Boo. We were edited by Julia Shu with help from Harshana Hatta. And we were fact-checked by Tiffany Bowie and Harshana Hatta. All of the onstage sound that you heard in this episode were taken directly from the rehearsals and work-in-progress performances at Brick in downtown Brooklyn. Big thanks to Jamie Sunwoo, Matt Chilton, Jane Jong, and Zoe Eve Reinhardt for helping us record behind the scenes. If you're in New York, then you can actually see the live debut of Specially Processed American Me from January 27th to February 19th at Dixon Place in Manhattan. For details and tickets, check out speciallyprocessed.com and follow the play at Specially Processed on social media. Self-Evident is a studio-to-be production Our executive producer is Ken Akeda. This episode was made with support from PRX and the Google Podcast Creator Program. And of course, our listener community. Speaking of which, 
The associate producer of this episode is one of our longtime listener members, Wanda Akeda. Thanks so much for supporting our work. And if you want to support our work, please write a positive review of Self-Evident on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other folks find the show. I'm Kathy Irway. Let's talk soon. Until then, keep sending me your favorite spam recipes.